0: it's been just about a year in fact uh in two weeks it'll have been a year since i spent a couple of weeks on study leave in palestine and israel i had an amazing week i've shared a lot about it with uh with several of you amazing week exploring the holy land and connecting with locations at least the traditional locations where many of the events of the bible are celebrated as having taken place i loved the experience I almost always loved the experience. One of the worst days, though, of that trip was the one I was looking forward to the most— you see, leading up to this trip, I had been, I'd been planning it for, actually for years, really. And I had these images in my mind of what I was going to experience and what these experiences would mean to me. You all know about expectations and the way that we envision things to be just so. And I had built up very high expectations. And in many ways, even my high expectations were met and even exceeded. I've shared before about one of the most powerful experiences for me that I never expected was the almost surreal uh, transformative experience of hustling across the old city of Jerusalem in the pre-dawn darkness several mornings as I would return over and over again to the place where Jesus was crucified and buried. And I absolutely was thrilled those mornings to wake up so early, earlier than I would ever wake up on my own normally. And I think part of it was the fact that I was sleeping and staying just five minutes, a five minute walk from this sacred place, and it made sleep almost impossible as I continually was filled with this overwhelming gravity of the location and the place. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting the old city of Jerusalem to be that powerful for me, even though many of those places that are there have been rebuilt multiple times over the centuries. Consistently, it was a place where my faith was nourished, my soul refreshed, my mind challenged, my heart warmed. About two-thirds of the way through the trip, we left and went some 90 miles north to the Sea of Galilee. And this is where much of Jesus' ministry took place. In our scripture lesson last week, this is where Jesus called his first disciples. It's where Jesus started his ministry after spending time in the desert right after he's baptized. So Jesus is baptized, the text says he goes into the desert, and then some 90 miles north is where he comes out of the desert at the Sea of Galilee. It's where he meets those first fishermen. And then it's the place where, where Jesus conducts most of his teaching ministry. Most of his teaching ministry and the miracles take place all around the Sea of Galilee. This quick chapter of my trip was one of stark comparison. And the full day I spent there was a day of roller coaster emotions for me. In the same day, I had an experience that was by far the most intimate spiritual experience. I have ever had. I didn't expect it at all. In fact, there was no building involved, no cathedral or church, no specific X marks the spot location. I was standing at the sea, at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The waves were lapping at my feet, striking the rocks with a consistent smack. I walked down the shore a little bit. ...to a place where there were no other people, away from the crowds, and I breathed in deeply, and I was overwhelmed. Regardless of the precision of the location, this was a spot, more likely than not, a spot where Jesus had stood. All of the the theoretical pieces of our faith, the things that I would read about in Scripture, were, were coming to a head in this spot... This was a spot where jesus had likely been with his disciples where jesus had had struggled with understanding what it means to be in ministry with people and what it meant to lead the people of god i was then six months into my ministry here and while i'm always hesitant to compare myself to jesus i hope you are too uh, i felt like in that moment in that spot And hearing those waves and smelling the air and feeling the breeze against my face, I felt like in that moment, I was understood. I was loved. I was encouraged. I was supported. And I wasn't alone. I felt like I was called, like those first disciples, called to follow Jesus. Called to follow Jesus even into the unknown places called to trust god i've used the word surrender a lot to describe my faith practices and to invite you all into your own prayer practices surrender we often see the word as a negative word right giving up waving the white flag but surrender in this sense surrender in this sense is us looking to god and saying here i am and this was a moment of surrender for me now, last Sunday during the sermon, I missed a critical opportunity, an opportunity to share with you my own experience of dropping my nets and following Jesus. Our text last Sunday was that calling of the first disciples where Jesus approached them and said, drop your nets, come and follow me. Now, I realized that in terms of drawing parallels, for those of you who know my Recent vocational meanderings. It might look like dropping my nets took place six years ago when I decided to leave my law career sell my house and most of the things in it. And then I eventually left my family and friends and went to seminary across the country. And perhaps that was a dropping of nets for me. There certainly are some parallels. But really, for me, the most significant moment of surrender to God took place more than 20 years ago when I did the opposite, when I decided not to begin seminary after college. Ironically, dropping my nets at that time, surrendering to God, it meant accepting an unknown future that was different from my plans and my expectations. The familiar place for me was serving God from inside the church. I got that. I understood it. Dropping my nets meant walking away from what I knew and learning to follow God in whatever career I would embark upon. Surrendering to God, the daily act of praying those simple words in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done, your will be done, your will be done we surrender to God every time we say that prayer. Surrendering to God is one of our most fundamental acts of faith, but it's also frightening. It's scary because when we truly submit to God, your will be done. God's thread that's already weaving through our lives, it becomes impossible to ignore and our lives are changed. Your will be done. And so, in that moment, at the shore of the Sea of Galilee, I surrendered myself again to God. Your will be done. Use me. Know me. And I thanked God for God's goodness and renewal and comfort, and I wept. I had no logic in that moment. I had tears, though. And not far from me, a few women were standing, holding hands and singing. Their feet were in the edge of the water, their clasped hands were raised above their heads, and they were singing allelujahs. An hour earlier, I had had one of the worst experiences of my trip. We had gone to the Church of the Beatitudes. A long, windy drive up to the top of the Mount of the Beatitudes brought us to a rainy parking lot filled with buses. People were running through the sudden and heavy rain with umbrellas and raincoats covering their eyes and with no regard whatsoever for the people around them. We reached the church, which was probably beautiful. Actually, I I looked up pictures of it. It is beautiful, but I was blinded with disgust. Disgusted at the way that the tourists i should i should say my fellow tourists because i can't separate myself from them there's there's really no they we may have lost the quality of tourist lottery that day but as much as i want to separate myself from others i certainly was one among many but in this particular moment i was filled with sadness and i wanted to run away from them all i was so disappointed I quickly looked at the things in the church, sprinted through the grounds, and I was ready to leave. This isn't really where it happened, I told myself, like it would be some sort of truth-giving salve to ease the disappointment. That morning in my room I had read the Beatitudes, those same scripture, that same scripture that you heard Matt read a few moments ago. Like you, I had heard those statements many times, probably hundreds of times. I could even recite many of them from memory, and I'm terrible at memorization. But I knew the words, and I don't want to discount the situational reality of that—the the circumstances at, at that church, at my, my time at the top of that mountain. But there's, there's a part of me that wondered when we were driving down the mountain whether my discomfort had less to do with the people on the mountain and more to do with the words that Jesus spoke there or somewhere near there. When I read the words that morning, I realized they had already made me feel discomfort. They made me feel somewhat homesick, a little confused. In fact... I wonder if my bitterness and frustration directed at those people at the top of that mountain had more to do with my shock at the words of Christ. Words that were intended for them, and for me, and for you, and for everyone. The words of the Beatitudes look comfortable, but they're not. They're not comfortable news for those of us who have the relative power in the world. Jesus is speaking good news to the poor, the hungry, the persecuted, the people at the bottom. The ones who have suffered and who know suffering so well, these are the ones that Jesus is saying will inherit the kingdom. And while Jesus is certainly praising people who we too would praise, like people who are pure in heart, literally translating the Greek, it, it means clean of heart. And, and this meant clean as in ritually clean or morally clean, but, but really in this usage, it meant something more like pure in motive. Someone who isn't acting out of excessive self-interest and whose inner and outer life correspond. Basically, a person of integrity. We'd praise that person, too, today. As one writer puts it, if Jesus were to say today, blessed is the person of integrity, he would probably get a hearty round of applause. That same theologian, James Martin, writes this, Other lines might be met by stony silence. Even when we distinguish between groups promised consolation or justice, like the poor, the hungry, the mourners, and groups praised for their behavior, the pure in heart, peacemakers, those who hunger for justice and righteousness, Jesus' words disturb, because many of those singled out by Jesus for praise are sneered at today. When I read Martin's words later that night in my hotel room beside the Sea of Galilee, still hearing the lapping of the waves outside my window through the still night air, I was convicted. The Jesus I follow, the one who had a grip on my life, the one who had walked at the seashore and who had made the divine presence known to me a few hours earlier in the sea air and in the singing of strangers and in the smells and the sights and the sounds... The God I follow is a God who specifically calls people blessed. People who I am called to call blessed. People who I may not know how to bless. This, my friends, is what following Jesus is like. The discomfort of following Jesus is the discomfort of realizing that Jesus loves people, people we may not know how to love. Jesus loves people who we might even think of as lazy, cowardly, foolish, gullible, people we might think of as weak, as losers. Jesus calls them blessed. But you see, my friends, the good news of the Gospel, the the great news of the Gospel, is that we, you and I, we are among those losers that Jesus calls blessed. You are blessed. You are called blessed by Jesus. And Christ's kingdom is yours. I like to tell people that I took the photo that's on the cover of the bulletin somewhere near where Jesus might have gathered people for the Sermon on the Mount, where he shared the Beatitudes. I took it the next morning after that day in Galilee. After a fitful night of sleep, we were leaving to head back to Jerusalem. I had our driver pull over so I could take the photo. In that moment, I got out of the car, and I was looking at the green hills, reflecting on my struggle from the day before, and I heard those words from Matthew 5 again, as though Jesus was looking at me in the eyes, and Jesus was calling me blessed. But he was also reminding me that he calls you blessed. And that as I look in the eyes of you all, and I look in the eyes of everyone I encounter in my life, that Jesus calls them blessed. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he looks us in the eyes like those strangers that were on the mountain with him, and he says, you are blessed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.